Yeah, so like I said, uh, we're stepping back into our series through uh, Luke, Luke, the Limitless Gospel. Uh, and it's a series where we're walking through the, the true story of the life of Jesus as recorded by Luke. And we're seeing the ways that he breaks the boundaries. He breaks the limits, hence Limitless Gospel, uh, that we might have placed on him, that we might expect of the saviour of the world. Uh, of what he might expect him to do and what, who we might expect him to be, and that he reaches beyond the limits of who we might expect him to reach. Um, and so, actually, before I say anything else, why don't we pray about this? Because we really need Jesus' help. Um, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Jesus, that you came in the flesh, the word made flesh, and you came and lived and die. Lord, grow us to be more like you and to be changed in the seeing of you as we see you through your word today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been with us while we've been walking through this series, uh, now we have just had a four-week break from it, a little hiatus, but we're back in. Uh, but if you've been with us in the previous parts of it, then you will have become used to the theme that's been coming out uh, in the first like uh, nine chapters of Luke. Uh, it's been really just erupting from almost every passage that we've gone through again and again. And the theme comes to us in the form of a question that kept arising, uh, kept being thrust on us. And the question was and is, who is this guy? Now, does that sound familiar to anyone who's been at Gospel Church? Because if you haven't, if you don't, yeah, anyway, um, you know, the revealing of the identity of Jesus has been in focus uh, it's been there, and it's been for about six chapters particularly, it's been really in focus, uh, and and that's taken us 17 preaching weeks. So this has been a good chunk of our time since we started as Gospel Church has been spent looking at this question of who is Jesus and seeing it answered in Luke's Gospel. Uh, and we've seen the identity revealed primarily in his authority, uh, authority to do a whole bunch of things. And as we've seen the one with authority to teach, with authority to heal, with authority to cast out demons, even with authority to command the natural elements of the world, uh, calming the storm, we've begun to see who this Jesus guy is. And throughout all of this, that question of the identity of Jesus has swelled and it's grown uh, as his greatness has become more and more apparent. And then when we got to chapter 9, uh, I was actually away for our last couple of chapter, sermons in chapter 9, but I've given them a listen on the website. Um, you know, but at, in chapter 9, the situation kind of goes critical. It reaches ahead. Uh, at, la at least three things have happened uh, in this chapter that went to great lengths, greater lengths really, than anywhere so far to show us who Jesus is. First, you had the confession of Peter. Uh, this is enormous moment, you know, in all of these chapters where the question has been pushed on us, who is Jesus, who is Jesus, who is Jesus? And then Jesus turns to Peter and says, who do you say I am? And she turns to his disciples and says it. And Peter says, you are the Christ of God. You know, finally, after all of this time, they realize Jesus is the savior of the world. Uh, Jesus is the king sent by God to rescue his people. And then that identity was confirmed in the next big thing, which was when God the Father himself confirmed it. Jesus went up on the mountain and was transfigured, is the word that we use for it, because we like long, difficult words. Uh, he was glorified. Uh, his glory was displayed in view of his disciples, and he met with the two greatest uh, prophets of the Old Testament, 
Elijah and Moses up there on the mountain, and the voice of God spoke and said, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. Once again, he is the Christ of God, he is the sent one, he is the chosen one. Uh, And that chapter gave uh, more to us than the fact that Jesus is the Christ. In fact, it took the the crucial extra step. Uh, The one that the disciples weren't really ready to recognize at that point. Jesus is the Christ who came to die and to rise again. Twice in that chapter, he says this very explicitly to his disciples. And that just didn't fit their categories of the Messiah. Uh, It's kind of weird. Toward the end of the section, we had this odd little episode, which which Matt brought to us uh, a few weeks back. Um, And and, uh, Jesus says to his disciples these words. He says, let these words sink into your ears. Love that little turn of speech. It's kind of like, get this through your thick skull. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. He's telling them pretty plainly, I'm going to be arrested. And he's told them already where that's going to go. Already in this chapter, he's going to die. And, and how did, does anyone remember, how did, the, how did the disciples respond to that? They had an argument. Not even about whether the Saviour would die or not. They had an argument, nothing, nothing nearly so important. They argued about who was the greatest, which one of them was the best. Who was the man amongst the men? You know, um, they just didn't get it. Uh, it. It did not sink into their ears, so to speak. The the saviour king would die, and yet they worried about who was the greatest. What a what a what an odd contrast. His definition of greatness and their definition of greatness. There, right? It just didn't match. They believed greatness was in influence, in power and prestige, in sitting at the right hand of the chosen one, right? And he said, he who is the least among you all is the one who is great. And he would demonstrate the exact definition of being the least when the great saviour king of the world would go and die under the shame of the cross to rescue all who would come to him. But today, today, like I said, we're looking at just this one verse. And we're going to be pretty brief today. If you're used to a John Cook-linked sermon, you're going to get to the end of this and be like, has he started? Um, but today, we're just looking at Luke 9.51. If you've got a Bible, uh, whip that open, um, or a scripture journal. If you are a regular here at Gospel Church, and you would like one of the Luke scripture journals, they're just... They're just a a page-by-page of the Gospel of Luke with note space for you, basically. Uh, And come and have a talk to us. I think we've got a few spares left over and we can order some more. Or they're on the bar. There you go. Only church in South Australia with a bar. Um, And and, and the reason, though, that we're looking at this one verse on its own uh, is that perhaps this is the the great hinge moment of Luke's Gospel. Um, this This is... a turning point. Something really changes in this one verse from everything that we've seen so far. The question of the identity of Jesus has kind of swelled and grown like we've seen, and it's reached a resounding answer. He is the Christ who came to be delivered up, to die and to rise. And now that, that the question has been answered, the time for action has come. 
And so today we reach this forceful turning point uh, in the gospel, and we read these words. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, these words start off... uh, Start us off in a section of, of this gospel that usually gets called the uh, the travel narrative. Uh, it's Jesus on the road to Jerusalem, uh, and the the imagery of this verse is this really somber, serious moment. You see, it's a, it's a picture of Jesus knowing that it's time, that soon he will be taken up. And I think I think um, perhaps those words are intentionally ambiguous because Jesus. Uh, is going to be taken up to glory with his father, but first he's going to be taken up onto the cross to die. Like he said, he will be delivered over to men and he will suffer and die and on the third day rise. And knowing what's coming, Luke writes that he turned his face to go to Jerusalem. The literal Greek word there is actually that like he, he stiffened his face towards Jerusalem. He set it towards Jerusalem. The picture we get here is of Jesus resolutely, uh, intentionally setting his course. And from this moment on, for the next 10 chapters, just in case you were thinking, oh, well, he's just about to get there. We're not quite there yet. Uh, The next 10 chapters of this gospel, it's Jesus on the road to Jerusalem. It's a, it's a long journey and it's, it's, It goes over a long period in this gospel, and yet Luke intentionally gives us these 10 chapters of the trip to Jerusalem. Luke's gospel kind of does this, by the way. Um, You get large periods of time covered in a few chapters, and then an even smaller period of time covered in more chapters, and then it kind of zooms in as we move forward in it, in its detail. And at least 10 times in these coming chapters... Uh, Luke is going to remind us of this fact that Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem. There's going to be lots of stuff happening. You know, there's a lot of iconic Bible moments in these 10 chapters. You know, Zacchaeus, the rich man, the parable of the prodigal son, if you want to call it that. Uh, All of these and many more are packed into these 10 chapters. And yet Luke keeps reminding us this is all happening whilst Jesus is walking towards his death on the cross. This largest section of Luke's gospel gives us this this gritty, um, real-world picture of Jesus that is really good for dispelling false understandings of who he is. Uh, Perhaps one of the most common misunderstandings of Jesus that we hear is that that he was just a good moral teacher. I don't know if you've run across that one. His teaching was good, but I don't believe in him as my personal saviour or anything like that. But you simply can't read the travel narrative. You can't read Jesus on the road and come away thinking that Jesus is just a good moral teacher. And before we judge others for believing that, uh, I I think it's worth thinking, um, wondering if there is a, a lighter form of that teaching that we might adopt sometimes. We can tend to picture Jesus, I think, just kind of serenely going about his business, happy as can be, untroubled by the world around him. I think we find it easy to see him as the good moral teacher during the majority of his life. You know, he was doing good moral teaching and then he went and he died on the cross. That saviour bit, that came at the end. But the truth is that every moment was his conscious decision to walk toward the cross. 
And nowhere is that more apparent than in travel narrative. With these constant reminders of the journey to Jerusalem, we get the impression that every morning Jesus is waking up knowing that he's one day closer to the inevitable. In these 10 chapters, we get this picture of Jesus every step being a conscious step towards the cross for us. And so Jesus, every move in this narrative is seen in this light. He's intentionally going to the cross, knowing the pain that is coming, knowing that soon he will be beaten, whipped, nailed to a cross of wood and will carry the sins of the world and their punishment on his back. And relentlessly, resolutely, he goes on. Because as we will read right at the end of this section, up in Luke 19, verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And he was dedicated to his mission. Now, I think uh, Kent Hughes, he's a Bible commentator and a pastor, he's written a little commentary on this, and, and he captures really well uh, the feeling of these chapters, of what we see of Jesus in these chapters. He calls it divine grit. Divine grit, the courage and the resolve of the limitless saviour on full display. It's easy for us to underestimate the, the love that Jesus has shown to us, isn't it? But when we see this, that he didn't just meander around and teach, but he walked resolutely toward his death for us for months, really for his whole life, when we see that the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, the, the, the night before he died, it's not, this, it's not this sudden welling up of what's uh, going to happen uh, after several kind of peaceful, easy months of, of not really anything happening. It's actually the end of a long road where every step, the weight grew heavier until he reaches the Garden. And then that we see that he truly loves us. We see the limitless love of our saviour at, bought at a limitless cost. But there's, there's something about this section of Luke that actually really excites me. Uh, and, and, and if you haven't caught it, we're just doing basically an intro to what's coming up here. What excites me about the travel narrative is you remember that uh, as, we, as we approached this section, the disciples didn't get it. Um, they didn't understand that Jesus was the saviour of the world who came to die and to rise. And they didn't get who they were to be either, uh, arguing over greatness. But this is the beauty of the travel narrative. This is what we have to look forward to as we enter into it. Uh, what filled Jesus' time as he, as he walked the road? What did he devote those last months to? Well, he spent... Uh, this time preparing his disciples, preparing them to take up their cross and to follow him after he was gone. Again and again we see Jesus teaching us what it means to be his disciples in the travel narrative. There's, there's varying content in these 10 chapters. It's not just one big teaching block, but the most common theme is discipleship. There's very, uh, sorry, the third of our four values here at Gospel Church. Who knows the four values of Gospel Church? Anyone? Matt, you jolly well better put me in that. Um, not you, Matt Sealy. Uh, <laughs> um, our third one is discipleship. Uh, 
We want to be a disciple-making church. Here's what our value statement says. Let me read it to you. We seek to grow under the word of the gospel, revealed in scripture and expressed through intentional relationships. We believe this growth occurs as the gospel truth is applied to our everyday lives so that each person grows up into the likeness of Christ as a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples for Jesus. Now, there's no better place in scripture to learn what it means to be a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples for Jesus than the travel narrative because he's going to show us through example and teach us through his words. Um, He's going to redefine what it means to, to save your life. He's going to redefine what it looks like in this section to be blessed uh, and what it looks like to be poor. He's going to teach us how to use our money, how to use our stuff, how, our, uh, how to use our lives as, uh, in light of this gospel. He's going to teach us the Father's love for the lost like a father of disobedient sons who cares for them relentlessly and in so doing can teach us to love the lost. And perhaps more than anything else, he's going to teach us about the cost, but also the incalculable gain of being his disciple. So I'm excited. I don't don't know if you're catching the tone there. Uh, I'm excited because as we see Jesus walking the road to the cross, he's going to teach us what it means for us to walk with him. Normally when I, when I preach, I try to give us some specific applications, uh, ways that we are called to trust and to, uh, and to treasure Jesus more. Uh, we're going to get lots of chances for that in these coming 10 chapters. And, and, and we're going to be called to live in light of who he is. Today, I just want to give you these two general encouragements. Good tip in preaching is usually to stick away from general and get specific. But, uh, but we'll go general today. Two general encouragements if we step into this section, things to look out for. Be ready to see the true greatness of Jesus. Who chose to take every step toward the cross to save you. And be ready to be challenged. When you come here on a Sunday and as you read this true story of the Saviour for yourself, be on the lookout for how you are called to live as his disciple more and more. This is the life of the Christian, and this is what we're stepping into over these next 10 chapters. So I'm through getting into it with you, and now we're going to pray, and then I believe uh, Dad's going to come on back up. Jesus, thank you that you walked the road for us. The long, hard road to the cross. You didn't relent, you didn't step back, but you set your face to go up to Jerusalem, to die on the cross, and to take all of our sin upon you, and to rise and give us new life. Lord, we thank you for your limitless love that you've poured out on us, and the very real world actions that you took. We thank you for your divine grit, that every morning you got up and you kept going, that every step you kept walking And Lord, we thank you that you devoted this time to building up your people, to building up your church, to be ready to follow you once you have died and risen again. Lead us, Lord, as we walk through this. Lead us to be more like you, Jesus, to take up our cross and follow you, to 
count the cost of being your disciple and rejoice in the great gain of being your disciple. We pray it in the name of Jesus, Amen.